We are in part eight of our Empowered Church series, walking through the book of Acts line by line. And I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank on that app or on the, the handout. But I'm going to give you a couple thoughts. If you're a note taker, I need you to pull something out and write this down. Let's begin by writing some stuff down, then I'll give you the fill in the blank in a little bit. Write this down. We don't go to church. Just write that down. We don't go to church as much as we gather as the church, okay? We don't go to church as much as we gather as the church. Can we all agree that the church is not a building, it's people, is that correct? So we are the church, no matter whether we're here or not, that we are the salt and light of the world. We are sprinkled out into all our communities. You are still the church. The Bible talks about us being living stones built together into being a temple for the Holy Spirit. That whether you're at work or whether you're at school or whether you're with your friends, you are still the church. When we collectively gather together, we end up calling it church, individual believers, but it's nothing wrong with calling this location church. I just need you to know that when you leave, the Holy Spirit is not hanging out here going, man, I wish I had something to do. That he went with you and went home with you, and so you are actively being the church because church is people, not buildings. Amen? Amen. Now, I think you can all agree with me that we are better together. Is that correct? Yeah, we... When we compile our resources, I'm talking about when we all are using our spiritual gifts, when we are all active to be fellowship with one another, you know what? Some of my encouragement I need, it comes from your lips. Do you understand that your answer to prayer may be in my prayer life? Do you understand that your gifting may be the gifting that helps take us to the next level? That everyone here matters. You're going to hear me over and over and over explain that your gifting is just as important as my gifting. There's no difference. It's all about role and function. We just do the stuff God asked us to do. And you know what? There is no team sport that ever wins because of only one player. Is that true? There is no team sport that ever wins just because of one player. Those are called individual sports. Why is this so important? Look at the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Church is a team sport. Church is a team sport. No church will ever thrive because of one particular leader. There's no way. Please do not ever leave the ministry of Bridgeway Christian Church to the people with titles. There are not enough of us. We are not gifted like you are. We don't have the influence you have. We don't have the access you have. If you are not Bridgeway, we're never going to be Bridgeway. That's how it's gonna work. You cannot allow it to just be with the pastors or the people that show up on stage. Oh, Lance will do it. No, I won't. And if I do it, it's not gonna be as good as if you did it. You are uniquely designed by God. Oh, well, you're the speaker guy. It doesn't matter. God made you in such a beautiful fashion. You're going to have access to things I will never. Please do not allow your mind to ever settle in this idea of professional church ministers are supposed to run the church. You're the church. Every single one of us, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Amen? All right, so let's dive into the Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. We're going to be turning to page 912. 912, if you're not familiar with Scripture. 
All right, now if you notice at the beginning and you're brand new, you're like, ah, shoot, they're on part eight. Well, I'm gonna bring you up to speed and it's gonna go super fast. You ready? Here's the story so far. Jesus Christ, who lived here and did a, a public ministry for three years, died on the cross and rose again. When he came back, he told his followers, he's like, guys, gather up, gather up. All right, so here's the deal. I got some stuff I'm gonna go do in heaven. Trust me, I'll be back. But I'm gonna hand off the entire ministry to you guys, but you need what I had in order to be successful. So I need you to hang out here a little bit until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. Well, sure enough, they waited around Jerusalem. They were in a prayer meeting. And then the day of Pentecost comes. Holy Spirit comes down upon this early fledgling 120 people church. The sound of mighty rushing wind fills the room. All of a sudden, flames of fire show up over everybody's heads. They're all filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. All of a sudden, they start talking in languages they don't even know. They're freaking out. Everybody around them's freaking out. They pour out into the temple and thousands of people gather around. Peter starts to preach and he's giving the gospel and he's talking to all the people and they're getting cut to the heart and they're getting saved and there's like a revival and then a couple days later they're going to the temple and they heal a guy and more people get saved and this is like an explosive revival in Jerusalem. Well, eventually that ticks off the leadership. Remember, they killed Jesus for a reason. They wanted to get rid of this whole Christian thing. And now, dang it, those Christian followers are now mouthing off again. So they threw him in jail twice, and they said, if you keep talking like this, we're gonna kill you. Well, it rattled the church. They're like, man, we've seen it. I watched my best friend die on the cross. They're not playing around. And so they cried out and had a prayer meeting, God, we're scared. We want to be emboldened by you. We want to go out there and be Jesus to the world. Please empower us with boldness. And the room was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And they were going out and just killing it for Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, if you haven't already. Acts chapter 4, excuse me, verse 32. All right, so here's how we do it. We're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about it. All right, here we go. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. All right, what you're going to see is a biblical description of how in the world you go from a church of 120 to over 5,000 and not have everything blow up, right? Because we're talking about real people. Real people are messy. Ministry is messy. So how in the world do you not have chaos, infighting, everything blowing up? How are you going to provide? A bunch of those people are slaves. A bunch of those people are poor. You got all kinds of needs and issues and logistics, right? How in the world did they survive that much growth in a matter of weeks and months? That's insane. Well, because they were all on the same page. So let's just dial in for a moment. It describes the church as those who believed. You've heard this phrase, right? We use it all the time. I'm a believer, right? Oh, are you a believer? Well, what the heck does that mean? Like, believe in what? Are we talking about, like, 
Santa, Smurfs, bunnies? Like, what are we talking about? I'm a believer. If you're a believer in a Christian sense, it means that there's a series of truths, a series of realities that you not only believe, but you live as if it's true. That's called trust. So I'm going to go through that short list with you because you can use it as kind of a self-diagnostic. Would I consider myself a Christian? Would I consider myself a believer? And if you answer all these things as yes, you would say, yep, I'm a believer. If not, maybe you're on that journey. That's all right. Maybe this is all brand new to you. That's all right. You're included here. You can hang out with us. But if we're going to say we're a believer, here's what we mean. A believer would be someone who, number one, believes that God is real and personal. That believes that God reached out to mankind to connect relationally. In other words, if you believe that somehow some superpower deity set up the universe and then took off, you're not yet a believer. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep moving forward. And we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to earth from heaven to rescue us from our sin problem. All right? You're like, well, I don't know about the sin problem. Well, let me give you the next one. We believe that mankind is inherently broken and in need of a Savior. Right? Do you believe that? Well, it's interesting. If you don't, I just have a quick question. Have you ever watched the news? Right? <laughs> you know, and uh, no, I believe that mankind is inherently good. Uh, we're all excellent. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know what planet that is, but it's not here. Uh, if you're a believer, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that he could pay for the sin debt that we accrued in our selfish lives. He took the judgment that we deserve so that we would be considered pure, forgiven, and free. That's called the gospel. Do you believe that? All right, let's keep going. That we believe that we activate that salvation by admitting to who we are and the violations we've done in our selfishness against God. We believe that we can and must release control of our lives to the one who saved us and knows how to run it better. In other words, if you still believe that you are God, you don't need a savior, right? And in case you do believe you're God, just ask your spouse. <laughs> they, will, they will remind you of some of your challenges, okay? Last one. A believer believes that God miraculously makes us children of God and that we are not only blessed by that reality now, but one day we will live with God in heaven forever. If you agree and say, no, I see it that way too, you are a believer, okay? Now, it's kind of like, oh, well, there's a lot of other stuff. No, 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 keep it simple. Dial it back down. What is the core gospel? What's the core gospel? I even added a little bit of fancy pieces of being in modern-day America on that list because we can know a little bit more. I'd have a little slightly different list if we're talking about aboriginal tribes in Australia, right? I would adjust that a little bit. But here's the point. Do you believe that God is real, that he's reached out to you, and you said yes? That is what makes you a believer. Okay, great. And remember, when we believe something in a biblical way, we actually need to live as if it's true. If there's no life change, you might not believe what you think you believe. Does that make sense? So it says 
Now the whole church was one in heart and soul. What in the world does that mean? It means that they're all on the same page. They believe Jesus is everything and they all agree on the mission. We gotta tell somebody. That is what kept them unified. Jesus is everything and we gotta tell somebody. Notice it doesn't say anything about how they felt about how the government should work. Doesn't say anything about how they feel the tax structure should work. Doesn't say anything about how church government should work. They didn't say anything about social issues yet. Why? Because that is secondary material. What we talk about unity, we're talking about at the foot of the cross, we all agree we need God and we're not Him. At the foot of the cross, we are not talking about the details. We're talking about, do you need a Savior? Yeah, me too. We're talking about, is Jesus our Savior? You say yes, and I say, I agree that too. That's how we have unity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean everybody agrees on everything in every way. As a matter of fact, that's not even the point. The point is unity in diversity. But we've got to be on the same page on the core stuff. And the core stuff is Jesus saved us and we got to tell somebody about it. Amen? Amen? That's where we have unity. All right, so then it gets to the freaky part. It says, and then they had everything in common. No one considered their own stuff their own. They shared it all. And you're like, oh, this is so weird. How in the world do you get thousands of people to buy into a concept that we're going to share everything? Like, that's just totally bizarre. If I just suddenly mandated that to you, right? Uh, hey, we're taking your boat out this weekend. You know, that kind of thing, right? It's our boat too, you know, that kind of stuff. If I just started grabbing stuff, right? Oh, I love your jeans. Can I borrow them? You know, that kind of stuff that you would say absolutely not. You'd resist that. So how do you get thousands of people to buy into a we're going to share everything concept? It's not like they've been together for years. This is a brand new church. So how did that happen? I can only think of one way. And that is this. They believed that church was like family. The minute that switch triggers in your brain, you start seeing everything differently. Can we all agree that you do stuff for your family you wouldn't do for anybody else? Is that correct? Like your attitude towards family, man. It, you're not cleaning up everybody's vomit. Yeah, right? You're not changing everybody's diaper, but you'll change it for family. Yeah, it's this whole 2 a.m. I, I, you know, I shouldn't have been out at 2 a.m., but now I have a, a flat tire and you got to come pick me up, dad, and blah, 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 right? The stuff we do for our kids, for our parents, for our siblings. As a matter of fact, there's always that irritating uncle that comes to like visit. Nobody likes that guy. You would have nixed that dude a long time ago if he wasn't family, right? But you keep putting up with him, right? Because family's different. And once they got into the idea that it was family, they started acting different. Here are four things I want you to write down real fast. Four things on how families should work that are applicable to this. Four things about how families should work. If church is family, it should be like this. But I'm talking about even literal families should be like this. Not all of us had functional families. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say 0% of us had totally functional families, right? We all have dysfunction to some degree right? The only question is how much, all right? So I'm going to say some things, and you're going to go, well, that wasn't the case in my family. 
I know that's because you're dysfunctional, right? <laughs> okay, cool. Here we go. Number one, write this down. Families are partners, not opponents. Families are partners, not opponents. In other words, you don't look through the lens of competition where mom and dad or husband and wife aren't always trying to outdo each other and tear each other down. That siblings are not in constant competition of trying to figure out how they can one-up each other. And you're like, well, hold on, that was my growing up. I know, you're dysfunctional. Okay, it's how, this is how it should have been. Your parents should have said, hey guys, we're on the same team. That's just how it works. Number two, write this down, everyone participates. Everyone participates. There's no such thing as a leech in the family, or there shouldn't be, yes? Okay, you guys remember a couple years ago we had Banning Liebscher from Jesus Culture out here, and he taught a story that I'll never forget. He was talking about how uh, they have big gatherings for Thanksgiving, family gatherings. It doesn't matter who you are outside of that house. When you come together for Thanksgiving, everybody's just family members. I don't care how fancy you are, how many books you've written, what you do. You're just family, right? They're not buying your press. And he said, everybody's got a job. Some people got to slice the turkey. Some people got to handle the, the cranberry stuff. Some people got to fill the, the drinks. He said, my job is peeling potatoes guy. Do you remember this? And they're like, man, I got my little peeler. They just start throwing me the potatoes because if I don't peel those potatoes, we're not having mashed potatoes. There will be mutiny. It's just a terrible thing. So it's not fancy, but he just starts peeling the potatoes. There's never an allowance for someone to just come in and not do anything. It's weird. And you're like, well, that's not true. My dad does that all the time, okay? Okay, real quick. Hey, dad, no one likes you. Okay, praise God. All right, there we go. Okay, get up and help us. What the heck is wrong with you? All right, number three, write this down. Families work through issues. Families work through issues, unless you're in the mob, then they just kill you, okay. But in normal families, you don't just cut and run. You stick in there with the difficulty. You sort it out even if it takes a really long time. Guys, how long have you been dealing with the drama with your sister? Since the dawn of creation, amen? Okay, you only do that for family, but you work it out, right? There's times you gotta put in boundaries and there's times you gotta back up and she's toxic and blah, blah. But you're still working it out, your family, right? This whole idea of, wow, we got into it at church and I'm gone. It, that's not right. That's not how it should work. Okay, let's figure, number four, write this down. Families share. Families share. If there's a pot in the kitchen, everybody gets to make spaghetti. If there's a TV, everybody gets a chance to watch it, right? Now, of course, we don't share everything. There's not, you know, we, once we start getting to ladies, when you start getting to makeup, eh, right? You know, it's like, hey, whoa, my flat iron, what are you doing, right? That kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Um, there are a few things we probably shouldn't share. I'm gonna recommend not toothbrush, <laughs> underwear. There, there, I appreciate you're a close family, uh, I'm just saying, right? That's just gross, so please don't do that, all right? But we, don't, we do share most all things, that's how it is in church. And so they all got on the same page and they were like, huh, if I have something extra, I would sure love to use it with my family. And it just made sense. It wasn't mandated, but everybody just did it. Why? Because that's how family works. Pick it up in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
and great grace was upon them all. A couple things you need to know about that. Number one, there's always a combo pack. Testimony, power. Testimony, power. You tell your story, you back it up with kingdom power. And that's what they did. Once again, they're like, Jesus will change your life. Boom, then they healed somebody and it was like, well, there's your backup. You can't deny that. Obviously, God is alive and active. What are you gonna do about it, right? So there's this combo pack that we need to be able to operate in and that's something that we are kind of growing in this year. The other thing that's interesting to me is they led with one particular message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why not go with a different message? Go with the cross and forgiveness. Why go with the resurrection? Because of their audience. First of all, the people telling the story are the apostles. They were really there. They saw it, their eyewitness testimonies. They're gonna talk about what they know. Second of all, their audience is first century Jews. You guys, Jews had always been waiting for the Messiah. A bunch of people have come throughout the years and said they were the Messiah, but they all died and went away. This group said, ours got back up. And that was gonna change everything. Because what they were saying is, if he got up, that means we can get up, and that means that we live a whole different way today. That's a powerful message. And then it says, and great grace was upon them all. Notice the apostles had a specific message, but God's favor was on the entire church. What does it mean to have God's favor upon you? We use the common word today, anointing. The Bible lists a number of people who it says they had the favor of God upon them. Let me share a short list with you. Noah, Joseph, Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of all time. I'm talking about people like uh, Mary, Jesus' mom, Jesus himself. Did they have extraordinary lives? They did. That's because the hand of God, His favor, was upon them. Is that not what we pray for the family at Bridgeway? You guys, behind the scenes, we're praying for it all the time, that the favor of God, the anointing of God, would fall upon all of us, that we could go out in the power of God. When you have the favor of God on you, doors open that you never expected, windows open that you never dreamed of, healings happen that you couldn't even imagine. That's the favor of God. Why was the church exploding? Because the hands of God was upon it. Praise the Lord. Let's go to verse 34 and wrap this up. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he's a Levite, a native of the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right. Important pieces. Number one, there was not a needy person among them. How the heck do you get that done? How do you know who's needy? How do you know what they need? Right? Thousands of people. How do you do that? Here's what's interesting. You're going to need at least two things. Number one, extreme generosity. And number two, extreme administration. Is that correct? You're going to find out in a couple chapters, the first division that happens in the early church happened because of poor administration. You see, too often, you'll look and you'll see your gifts. You're like, well, I'm good at being organized. That's not a big deal. You guys, 
It's a huge deal. You wanna tear a church apart? You can either do it from the stage or you can do it behind the scenes. Either way, you can tear a church apart. It is so critical. If you have the gift of administration, if you have the gift of organization, you are being used by God to keep us together and on the right track. We desperately need your gifting. I've watched so many gifted preachers of smaller churches who have to do everything that aren't gifted administratively run their churches into the ground. I'm telling you, your gifting is just as important as anything that happens on this stage. We either win or fail based on your utilization of your gifts. It really matters. They got this thing dialed in at least initially, and it was pretty awesome. Then it starts saying people were selling their stuff and bringing the money and setting it at the apostles' feet. A couple things you need to know about that. Number one, I just need to give a real quick wisdom caveat, because when we read this stuff, we're like, yeah, Jesus Revolution movie. This is a hippie commune. Man, we all just need to sell all our stuff and go live on a ranch somewhere, which by the way, I'm not doing that, okay? <laughs> I'll Skype in or whatever, but I'm not doing that, okay? <laughs> Everyone just starts to smell at some point. Anyway, it's not important. Okay, this is not a hippie commune. Why? Because they had this thing dialed in a certain very strict way. But here's the wisdom piece for you. You can only sell everything you have once. Is that correct? Just think through it, right? Because <laughs> everyone's like, that would be awesome, woo! They all sell all their stuff, and then on that money runs out, they're like, woo! I'm homeless, <laughs> right? And so are you. I can't even leech off you. What the heck is happening right now? So you, the only way that this type of community could continue is people continuing to work really hard and being sacrificial and being generous. It's actually a continued process, not a one-time, let's all go crazy thing, right? And this is important. It says, and they laid the money at the apostles' feet. What does that mean? It means... They gave a lot of money over and walked away. That's power. Because that means they trusted God and the leadership to handle where it needed to go. You see, there's a lot of wealthy people that are willing to give to a church as long as they can control where the money goes and how it's handled. That is not helpful money. Because there's certain things that it needs to be used for, right? And then the last piece of this that I think is so fascinating is it says, and they distributed to everyone that had need, right? And this is where some of you are like, I knew it, communism, socialism. I knew where this was going, right? You know, I'm a capitalist. Okay, hold on. <laughs> if, if you're a capitalist in your house, something is wrong with you, <laughs> right? Right, uh, children will decide who eats tonight. Bring your report card, right? I mean, it's just, come on, everybody gets beans. You know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, we're not talking about society right now. We're talking about home. We're talking about church, right? So yes, it does look more communist. Okay, I get it. Relax. But here's what's interesting is you kind of go, oh, so it's just everyone just, it's a handout. It's a handout. It's a handout. Oh, I'm against welfare. It's a handout. Okay, hold on. I need you to listen to how they dialed this thing in. And I'm going to tell you, you wouldn't be this strict. Let's, I'm going to give you two examples, and we're going to close out. Number one, what does the Bible say is pure and faultless religion? What does the Bible always indicate that there are two needy people, two needy groups that you must always minister to? Do you know what they are? Widows and orphans. Okay, everybody knows widows and orphans are a big deal to God. So 
if your spouse has passed away, you're a widow. You're like, oh, okay, so I would be helped out. Nope. Here's the rules. You ready? This is intense. It's, here we go. It says you have to be truly a widow. And the way they define that is you have no family at all. You got no kids living. You got no family around you. They should take care of you. We're not putting you on the list. You got no family. You have to be a solid believer over a period of time. You have to be known for a deep prayer life. You have to be over 60 years old. Anyone under doesn't get on the list. You have to have a good reputation outside the church and wash the feet of the saints inside the church. Then we'll think about putting you on the list. Holy cow. I, you know what I ended up doing? I was prepping for this and I realized I fired everyone on staff. Nobody at Bridgeway is, is worth being paid. Like none of us can be on this list. And then I fired myself. You guys, this is our last weekend together. Right? None of us deserve to have any of this stuff. What are you talking about? Like that's intense. Let's talk about their work ethic. Yeah? Oh, there's a handout. There's a handout. Hold on. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right as leadership, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave this command, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Oh, snap. Like, <laughs> wow. Like, that was brutal, right? Don't work, don't eat. That's how we play. Then it says, if you study the rest of his material, here's what Paul said. Strong always works harder to help the weak. We always help our brothers and sisters in need. Every time you work, you work hard so you're not dependent on anybody. And every work you do, Work a little harder so you have something to share and don't ever be a burden. That was the early church work ethic. Now, after that, they distributed to everyone who had need. This is why they could say a passage like this. If you see a brother or sister who does not have daily food or does not have clothing for their body and you walk away from them, you're a monster. How dare you? They can't eat today and you're going to walk away. That's not right. Because you see back then, there was also a lot of challenges. People that just begged for a living, people that were disabled, people that weren't able to handle themselves, people that were struggling, right? We're talking about poor, we're talking about slaves. And so when the Bible comes in and starts talking about sharing with true need, they're coming hot. Why? Because would you really do that to a family member? They're not strangers, y'all. We all have the same last name because we all got transformed into being children of God. You guys know this, right? The New Testament concept of generosity is always voluntary. Not manipulated, not mandated, right? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. You guys, what you're never gonna hear at Bridgeway 
at least not on my watch, is you're never gonna hear manipulation. You're never gonna hear pressure. What you're gonna hear is if you wanna talk about where I'm gonna press you, it's to increase your love. I will always push for loving one another more. How that works out, that's between you and the Lord. I'll always talk about an increase in heart more so than an increase in dollars. Does that make sense? So we're gonna go ahead and close up and I'm gonna have Pastor Heather kinda, kinda uh, dismiss us, but I just wanna pray that maybe God would allow us to begin to see one another as family, amen? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we sure praise you. We are so thankful for you, Lord. We, we get a chance to sit in this moment in history where God, our needs are taken care of in this church. Lord, we are doing ministry that is above and beyond. Lord, I, sit, I stand in front of a group of extraordinarily sacrificial, generous hearts. Lord, I don't think that we are yet where we need to be in terms of community, spending time together, but I truly know our hearts are headed that direction. So Holy Spirit, would you bring us love and unity in a supernatural way so that God, when we leave this place, all of our family here is still on our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.